Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we are going to be looking at Ephesians 4.1 and possibly other verses. The section is from verse 1 to verse 6 but obviously we won't get that far today. Ephesians 4.1, Paul states, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. The topic for these verses is really that of unity and We don't need to look far to see the opposite of that, which is division, whether in the church or in our country or in any country that one looks at. And uh, that's just always been the way that it is. But the plan of the Lord for the church is that we are not characterized by disunity or division, but rather unity. Okay. Um, And so we are supposed to work to that end. Uh, Now, there is a caveat that we have to make that unity is not the end-all goal of all things. Uh, Paul does take some stands, and he does so knowing that it will cause enmity and disunity in certain places, and so there are theological stands that we must take in order to ensure that we do not compromise the gospel. So, for instance, Paul says to the church at Rome in Romans 12, verse 18, if possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. But then we also have to pair that with Acts 24, 16, where uh, Paul says, so I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and men. So when it comes to unity in the church, so long as there's no major doctrinal error, we need to be clear. Uh, we need to clear the way so that there is no division. And of course, this emphasis on unity in verses one to six is both a nod to the declaration made in Ephesians two of the one man being made from the two, and that this was a mystery, Ephesians three, and an indicator that divisions were still a problem. So this just goes to show how much we still need to hear this truth over and over again. Uh, Today, it may not be a matter of disunity between Jews and Gentiles, but there are divisions in other ways. And by the way, we should point out here that when something is urged in the scripture and we're given that imperative, that command uh, and instruction, a lot of times what that's there for is not to say that this thing was completely lacking and no one knew. And so there's instruction there. It's oftentimes the case that they were doing the opposite of it. So if they're being called to unity, that's probably an indicator that there were some problems with division in the church. And so we we really need to take this to heart. Now, also, as we get into this section, it's worth noting uh, that we are starting a brand new section here. And we're moving from the theological treatise, the doctrinal section, chapters one to three, into the practical application. And so 
There is a tie when Paul says, therefore, as he often does, it's to point to everything that precedes it. And that's what he does here in verse one. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. And he's saying, therefore, with everything that I've just said and made this case, I'm now going to urge you on to application in your life. And that is to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. So the first thing that I want to note here in this verse is really a command for life. There is a command for life, and that is this, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Now, in order for us to heed this command that is for all of our life, not just for one point in our life, but for every aspect of it until the Lord calls us home to glory— then there are some things that we need to examine that come forward from this verse. The first is this, the conditions of the one giving the command. The Lord is giving the command, obviously, but he's doing that through his servant, the apostle Paul. And so we're looking at his conditions. Paul is urging unity in a church that needs to hear this admonition by way of inspiration. But what is Paul's condition is he's writing for them to be unified. He's a prisoner. Uh, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord. This word translates to one who is bound, and that says he is bound uh, for the Lord or bound in the Lord. And so we recognize that, that the circumstances of his incarceration happen to be for the cause of the gospel. In other words, there have been some things that he has said that did not cause unity, did they? I mean, that right there should point us to the fact that not everything can always uh, end with total peace, and that can't be our end objective. He decided to stake, you know, to, to make a stand, and that cost him his freedom. But he did it for all the right reasons, and he wasn't being a jerk necessarily. He was just making a stand, a theological stand, and he's in prison for it. And so those are the conditions of the one giving the command that Paul's a prisoner. But what's the force of the command? Uh, When he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, it's not in the usual case that one would expect. Uh, Okay, and I don't want to get too nitty gritty here, but the fact of the matter is, is when we see commands, do this. For instance, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That verb, pray without ceasing, give thanks. Uh, Those things are given in the original language in Greek in the New Testament in a case that is easily identifiable where we look at that and we say, okay, that is a command case, right? We call that an imperative case and we know that a command is being given. Well, here it's not quite like that. It's not the usual thing that we're looking for, the usual markers for an imperative, uh, but the verb itself gives the force of the imperative, okay? It's the same root word from which we get the descriptors of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the, you know, some ancient uh, translations use the term paraclete. Uh, That's not really something that's common in the more modern translations, but parakaleo uh, is, is that, and this gives lens aid to the idea or, or lends to the idea that there, that he is the comforter or more aptly in that sense, he is the exhorter. So, and, and that's where in the English standard version, we get this sense of urge you, I urge you, uh, I exhort you. This is kind of what the, what the Holy spirit does. And so that's what's going on here. And, 
the word urge in the Greek, Greek order, sometimes doesn't matter, but it's really interesting that that actually appears first, uh, in the very first word in this sentence. And so those who have worked to translate this into English over the centuries have tried to smooth it out for us to render it in its most literal fashion uh, would read this way, therefore I urge you all, I, abound one in the Lord, to walk worthily of the calling. That's how you could translate that. And so we see this, this exhortation here. It is definitely a command. So it's, it's a different way of giving a command, but it's still a command. It's an exhortation, and, and that comes forward. So it's not just a, it's a strong suggestion. It, it really is a command. And so we can look at it that way, and we should. So we've looked at the conditions. We've looked at the force of the command. Now let's look at the root of the command. I urge you to what? To walk. Uh, I am kind of like a lexophile. I love words and I like getting to the root of words, etymology. Uh, and so I, I, I like that. And, uh, there is an, an obscure word. It's not, it's not common, but it is an English word, uh, and it's called peripatetic. And so if you're a peripatetic and we kind of use that as an adjective, then that means that you are, uh, one who who walks uh, okay uh, and and is it mean that it's somebody who goes on a five mile walk every day not necessarily but one who gets around on foot and so uh it's interesting because that root word here is parapateo so you can see where we we get that uh same word but there is context and context is really important because to walk isn't to go and get your 10,000 steps in the day. What we're talking about is how you conduct one's life. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. We're talking about how you live your life, how you comport yourself, how you behave, how you live as a habit of your conduct. Okay. And so we, we hear people talking about walk the walk and talk the talk. But really, we're talking about here living your life. And this is what he's talking about here. I think we all know that, but it bears, you know, making sure that we clarify that. And that brings us to the parameters of the command. How are we to do this? How are we to carry out this command? Obviously, we've established that it is a command and the command is to live your life or to walk. And so he gives us the parameters of that command. He says, you're supposed to do this in a way that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Okay. And uh, we'll probably just stop this here today. So we'll just get through verse one. But it really brings to mind what Paul said to the Romans in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, a verse that we all know very well. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are what? Who are called according to his purpose. So he says that we're supposed to live our life and conduct ourselves and behave in such a way that is worthy of of the calling to which we have been called. And so we recognize that God has placed a call on our life. To call us to salvation is to open our eyes to the gospel, to open our eyes to his holiness, to, to our sinfulness, to Jesus Christ's satisfactory uh, life, that his life is a worthy sacrifice, sinless, all of those things, and then to be saved that he has granted us the ability to repent, 
granted us the ability to believe and he has given us new life, all of that says that he points us to something else. It's not just that we're now saved. He's actually called us to live a certain way. That's the calling that has been placed upon us. Okay, so now this goes back to chapter 1, right? Verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 1, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. That's talking about the call right? That, that's what his calling is for our life, that we would be holy and blameless. And he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Going on in verse 12 of Ephesians 1, we, we read that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So now we get a little bit more insight into the calling, holy, blameless, the first to, be, uh, to the hope in Christ, to the praise of his glory. In Romans chapter 11, verse 29, he says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. You share in a heavenly calling. So this calling here can be defined as an invitation to experience of special privilege and responsibility. Um, the word comes up three times in, in this passage, uh, here in verse one and in verse four, just as you who are called to the hope that belongs to your call. So this calling is the invitation of God upon your life. It, it doesn't come from another believer. It's from the mouth of God. The calling that is upon you as a believer comes from God, not from your pastor, not from the person who, uh, declared the Lord to you and, and the gospel. It, it, it comes from God. This calling is on your life. It's on my life. It's on the life of all believers. It rides on the gospel. So with the offer of forgiveness of sins, which is what the gospel proclaims, comes a calling to live a life of faith. So you don't just get saved and get to go live your life. However, if you are going to believe the gospel and receive the forgiveness of your sins, you are now being called to a life of faith. Consider what Paul says to the church at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 11 to 12. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, uh, Peter mentions this as well, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. God has called each and every believer, you, me, everybody who has believed, to live a life of faith, holy and blameless, obedient to the gospel, obedient to Christ. And he's called us uh, to, to live this way not only for ourselves, but in front of other believers and, and really in front of everybody. Uh, but of course, this is going to translate into church life as well. So that's where we're going to stop today. But we recognize here in verse one, there is this incredibly powerful command that is for all of our life. Uh, it's for all of our lives collectively, like every person, but it is for our entire life, as in the span of our life, it encompasses that. And that calling as a believer is from the moment of your salvation until God takes you home to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. 
We'll leave it there and pick it up in verse 2 in our next episode. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.